Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Oh, my Derek here on Murphy and Kennedy all here with today's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Hi again. Good to see you. Great to see you, Kieran. Uh, hello, hello, Ken. Louis Van Hal, Louis Van Hal. I want to start. With, okay, I want to start with Man United here because okay, Van Hal is. I think we can all see that there's a lot of proving that he needs to ring out of his Man United players. I think I found a starting point for me. A lot of people are talking tactics. A lot of people are talking, yeah, you know, buying some half decent defenders. All the, all these kind of reasonably pertinent points can but I think he immediately needs to get his boys thinking about how they react after fouling opponents mm-hmm. they've got to work on their poker faces is what I'm saying okay Chris Smalling was going to be doing well to avoid a second yellow card for brutally <laughs> assaulting James Milner I think he was acting his way out of that one no but he any hint of the in the referee's mind was removed when Smalling turned around with just the most guilty looking head on him he, I'm gone I know oh, I'm no. gone oh, we no. all know I'm gone right and he wasn't the only one at it I don't know if you remember one of Fellaini's many fouls in the box that went unpunished as it happened but he looked almost as sheepish this is the second time he bundled Sergio Aguero over mm. the one with the help of Carrick Carrick had hit the initial uh, knocked the player off balance and just in case there was any doubt Fellaini came in and bundled him over fully he then turned, turned to the referee and he went through the motion which must have just a reflex motion of raising his arms in an I didn't touch him mm. type of football way but his facial expression refused to follow that body movement and just screamed penalty, screamed penalty directly at the referee, who somehow missed it and didn't give it. Well, not all players have the, that ability to um, to act their way out of trouble. I think the the man who Louvenal should be urging them to imitate is his old uh, Dutch international player Daryl Janmat, uh, who was playing for Newcastle against Liverpool on the weekend and chopped Mario Balotelli in half. With a, a completely, an, an, an absolute, it was, it was incredible. You know, it was, it was literally, he, he thought, okay, Balotelli, 
Balotelli was kind of scuffling with a couple of Newcastle players and then managed to come away with the ball. And Yamat just thought, right, I'm not standing for this. And kicked him in half. Mm-hmm. Balotelli flew into the air. And Yamat just sort of strode away. It was as though nothing had happened. Yeah, you know, just a, exactly. Just a sort of a, a, his face was just this steely, expressionless mask. Yeah. You know, I knew he killed Mario Balotelli. What of it? John Terry. And he questioned the referee. That's pretty, that's pretty much, that was exactly <laughs> his approach. And the referee, I think, did book him. But, I mean, it, could easily, it was such an out-of-the-ordinary uh, out kind of tackle. It could easily have been a red card. You've definitely seen players red card for this. Because it was clearly a deliberate, all right, Balotelli's going down. Um, but, you know, he just his, his reaction was as though nothing really out of the ordinary had happened and uh, he just got the yellow. John Terry has always been quite good at it. I don't have any specific examples of late, but he just carries himself in the same way no matter what's happening. Mm. So whether he's just... Uh, Handled it. Usually, he's, usually he's done a Neville Southall yeah. sprawling uh, save in the penalty area. That's the typical penalty that John Terry doesn't get given against him. No. Uh, he does it or, or a, a Schmeichel star jump and then... Uh, for some reason, this is never given. Well, because he gets up just looking lion-hearted as he always looks. Mm. He just gives that that impression. But what about the the game itself, Ken? Your impressions of Manchester, the Manchester derby? I thought that it was a bad game. Yeah, I think it was. Well, too... It was exciting in ways. Yeah, but I, I mean, maybe it was. I, I just thought it was two unconvincing teams. Um, I I think it was a very disappointing result for Manchester United. Considering, I mean, I know that they, you know, they kind of were blaming Smalling afterwards, um, and it probably was. You could argue if they'd had eleven players, um, maybe the second half would have gone a bit better for them. But really, match when you consider how vulnerable Manchester City were going into this game, they're missing some of their best players as well. Uh, United, as we've been hearing all season, don't have European games, don't have these kinds of distractions. Um, they didn't have Capital One Cup distractions either, which Manchester City did uh, did have lost in that competition during the week. Uh, you know, everything was set up, I think, for them to go and, and make a statement about where they're moving to now, where they're getting to Van Gaal. They did, you know, it was it was well, another up flop. Sending, up to the sending off, they were doing all right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... I mean, it's kind of like saying, you know, he hasn't done anything wrong other than, you know, murdering his wife. I mean, you know, it's, the sending <laughs> right. off was not, it wasn't a totally a thing, totally unrelated to Manchester United's team performance. Yeah. At the end of the day, one of their players got sent off for doing something really stupid. Yeah. So it's not like it's an excuse. I think they were, I think Manchester City were, uh, you know, going into that game nervous and fearful about what would happen and come out of it extremely relieved that they didn't face a stronger group Manchester United, who really, at this point, having had uh, all of these weeks of uninterrupted training, um, should be doing a lot better. And should be really advantageous because yeah. this was uh, Mourinho. It suited Mourinho to highlight this last year, but he did highlight it on more than one occasion. Oh, it's it's not just Mourinho. It's, it's Brendan Rodgers been highlighting it this year. Well, I was going to say Brendan, I was, Mourinho highlighted it in Rodgers' case last year. He said, "Oh, Brendan is doing superb. Of course he is. I mean, we would all love to have a week. We'd to all we'd all love to be sitting around training our players all the time in all the finer details. But some of us have competitions to play. Some in. of us have a bit of work to do out there. Um, some of us are getting flights away to to European cities midweek. You know." Now, we can't do all the work in the training ground, but Manchester United are doing that, and I don't really yet see the um, the great sort of improvements. I mean, I know we were talking about, and again, the last few minutes of the game, the last twenty minutes or so, against a, a, Manchester, a Manchester City team that seemed to be imploding, United did. They should have equalised. I mean, they had the chances to equalise. They 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 were at least able to do that to put City under some pressure. Maybe that's the, the sign of the progress, but the progress is a little bit slow. Could they not do a little bit of work on the flights? 
training training ground work on the flights, the teams in the Champions League. You know, obviously not when there's turbulence or when you're taking off or landing, but yeah. in the bit in the middle. Well, I think it helps to be actually on the training ground as opposed to strapped into a seat in an airplane. But you don't have to be strapped in. You're, you can go on the, go on the aisles there and you're practicing first touch in See, a confined Ken, space. This is why you'll never make it, yeah. right? This is why you'll never make it as a football manager. Because you're not, you, you know, you're a little bit of lateral thinking, you mm. know, outside the box. That's where McDevitt lives. He hasn't seen the box. <laughs> That's how far outside the box old McDevitt is, Right. Yeah. So you stick Free with McDevitt, you're going to be all right. If uh, Manchester United provided the ultimate example on how not to replace, how to fail to replace a successful manager with a new guy, Donegal might have gotten it right if we're going to compare them because apparently Jim McGuinness had no role to play in the appointment of Rory Gallagher. He's his former, McGuinness's former assistant who, well, they had a weird, uh, I don't know if it was a weird end to the relationship. It just seemed sudden that they were together for the first few years of it. And then last year, um, he just changed his back, McGuinness changed his backroom team and a typical Donegal Jim McGuinness uh, the typical Donegal Jim McGuinness wor- world nobody knows what exactly yeah. why that was this happens all the time so maybe there's no more to it than meets the eye but anyway Galler's back in now as the main man and Keith Duggan's going to chat about this today he was as I mentioned he was his assistant so he definitely has the respect of the players there the issue is though McGuinness was such a huge presence as Alex Ferguson was at Manchester mm-hmm. United that you're not just coming in impressing the players and that's it You've got to work with the clubs and the county board and the way that Jim McGuinness got them certainly on board in the last season. He managed to um, have a pretty sweet situation yeah. where they didn't have any club games to play for the entire championship season. The way he managed to somehow managed to get these guys to these training camps the whole time by apparently being pretty good at, at raising funds at whoever you have to meet, whatever local businessman, whatever way you do mm-hmm. all that, he seemed to be on board with that as well. He just had all, So there's all that to consider besides just managing the team, which is the challenge. Yeah. Uh, when you paint it like that, it's yeah. pretty tough. I'm not saying no. Gallagher seems to be really job. highly rated, so he could do absolutely yeah. brilliantly. And you know, on the football side of things, you know, you would think that uh, he wouldn't have got this job if the players didn't want him. Yeah, I, I, you know, I would, I would be very surprised if Michael Murphy wasn't asked. You know, Michael Murphy will probably deny it, but I mean, if you're the Donegal County Board, one of the first phone calls you should be making is to Michael Murphy, who had that relationship with Jim against that was so strong that kind of the two of them together built that team so I mean I would th- I would say that uh, the players are on board with it but I mean it's so much more than that when you're talking about McGuinness when you're talking about whatever you know the messianic figure is the cliche that's trotted out but I mean that's what he was um, and you know when there is a change at the top like that clubs might think right well okay we didn't play any club games this summer but that was because Jim McGuinness asked us not to do that if there's even the slightest sign of weakness they would probably try and get that get that back and if if the clubs do try and uh, start playing games again in the summertime which uh, seems to me to be a pretty reasonable thing <laughs> yeah, to ask yes, yeah. um, then you know he's going to have to fight all those wars all over again it's funny I'm not normally a huge fan of the idea that players should have a massive in- input mm. into who the manager is but I think in a, in a case where they've already been managed by him he's been yeah. involved with them in this current setup well it, it's the core it only makes thing. sense to actually just check did that go well yeah is there someone from uh, inside this unbelievably wildly successful camp we've had for the last four years that we think could actually do the job I mean that's what Cork did when Donald O'Grady stepped away uh, they hired John Allen and he kept it going and of course if you ask the Cork players now if they had hired Jer Cunningham back then when mm. John Allen stepped away then they might have been much in a much better position to, to push on and actually challenge Kilkenny for that uh, four in a row but that's not what they did We're, so yeah. it's 
that's the template. You, that's the way to do it, right? We'll get into that a little bit later. I'm going to start by talking rugby now because <laughs> the uh, well, not only do Ireland have a pretty tough task on our hand, but pretty much uh, all the Northern Hemisphere teams, given that New Zealand are going to arrive as New Zealand. Luckily, we don't have to play them this time around. Mm-hmm. South Africa are going to, in fact, they're going to be New Zealand, but still smarting from losing to South Africa. So they've got that little bee in their bonnet as well. South Africa are arriving playing some of their best rugby in a long time. Certainly, they're some of their most expansive rugby in a long time. And we've also got Australia ourselves in a couple of weeks' time who have Michael Checker on board with all the players. They're likely to want to impress him. So a difficult-looking couple of games, but uh, the ones against Australia and first up South Africa, from our point of view, Irish Times rugby correspondent Jerry Thorny's in studio. We're also going to be talking to Bernard Jackman. But Jerry, how are you? Good, thank you. Looking forward to the November internationals as always? Ah, yeah, yeah. It'll be very interesting. Yeah, this one's... I mean, I always think actually there's a bit of a disappointment in the air when the All Blacks aren't here. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just think the All Blacks adds the first one of something to a November Sh- Smith series. even alluded to that. Yeah, yes. quotes him at the weekend and he, he said, look, given where we are and uh-huh. injuries, we're happy enough maybe to be playing South Africa and, and Australia this time. Yeah. But he did mention the atmosphere last year at the New Zealand game. Yeah, it was me that asked him about that question. Was because it, yeah. Wales and England are playing New Zealand as well as part of a four-test programme, also including South Africa and Australia. And you just wonder if Wales and England are stealing a little bit of a march in Ireland by getting in this extra game a year out from the World Cup. You'd imagine that the coach and Schmidt would love another crack off the All Blacks but then the injury profile is such that he's probably regarding as maybe it's a bit of a blessing. But it's just, they just have that little bit more about them, the All Blacks, they are, the, the Brazil of World Football, the equivalent of in rugby. And if, if the hacker can get an Irish crowd into their seats 15 minutes before kickoff, then it's worth having. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Hopefully they'll be there uh, for the South Africa game yeah. in, in good time. It's a, a hell of a South African team that Ooh. we're up against the weekend. Just judging by your piece on Saturday, I kind of get the sense you're, you're not too confident about Ireland's chances. Well, I don't. Put it this way, I think if Schmidt and Co and the players were to mastermind a victory over the Springboks, it would rank very close to beating the All Blacks a year ago. Mm. I mean, this team did beat the All Blacks in this last game. Um, they're playing some of the best rugby. They, play. they didn't start the rugby championship very well against Argentina. They're opening two games. The performances were poor. They were lucky enough to win away. But something clicked when they lost in Wellington 14-10. They've really targeted much improved fitness levels. They genuinely are playing a different brand of rugby than we've come to expect from the Springboks. Out there with them this morning, um, there was a lot of talk about the conditions and how they'll adapt to that from their backs coach. And maybe they will, depending on the weather, they might kick a bit more. But certainly in that last game against the All Blacks, they got turnover ball when Abana retrieved kick um, over the top. And their first instinct with Willie LaRue stepping in his first receiver, and Andre Pollard, the young 20 year old whiz kid, out half, a second receiver, was to go wide. And they went wide. Um, Hendricks kicked up the line. Um, and they regathered a couple of offloads later, and Hugard was scoring under the post at the other end. An 80 metre turnover try, kind of thing they weren't doing in the past. And also, it was very noticeable that from lineouts, they're going off the top in the mid, halfway around in the middle of the pitch and going wide using um, outside centre and blindside winners of decoys and really using the full width of the pitch and outflanking the All Blacks defence. So it's, it's a much more, genuinely, it does seem to be a more expansive approach that they've said they want to do. And very intriguingly, they've had. They've absolved all their players from Curry Cup duty, which they've right. never done before. So they're arriving fully locked and loaded, um, likely to play the exact same team they played against the All Blacks. And Ireland being six nations champions, they've targeted Ireland. Yeah, not, not great from our point of view. Yeah, sounds good. Bernard Jackman, are you going to give us anything to, to cling on to there? I know you, um, well, you were up close and personal with Backies Botha and Brian Abana uh, against Toulon. They seem to be in pretty good form. Yeah, very good form and um, just with quality athletes, you know, we speak about um, game management programs and limiting guys' games, but you see guys like Habana and Bakis Boda who are 
you know, we're playing top 14 seasons, Champions Cup, um, November Internationals, uh, Rugby Championship. They just, um, it seems to be not non-stop for them, but they don't, they, their form doesn't drop off. Um, if anything, they, they live for those those big games. And I suppose South Africa are unique in terms of the um, the other two superpowers, you know, Australia and Zealand. South Africa are still content to pick um, their form, their players who are, who are based in, in Europe or Japan. And um, so, whereas New Zealand and, and uh, Australia technically are always in a little bit of transition um, South Africa don't le- lose those experienced uh, players and that's um, that talent pool and that's uh, rugby intelligence that that maybe the others do and that can be good and bad in, in some ways because it, it can hamper the development of young players but what Hank van Amer has showed and um, Hank Amer has showed and particularly uh, in his in his time with South Africans, the November test is where he's he's kind of brought um, some new blood into his squad, and I agree with Jerry. I think they'll go they'll go full strength for Ireland, but over over the course of the of the month, they will blood um, some some new names into into the into their system, and um, particularly guys with the, with the internationals not playing Curry Cup. Uh, for the first time ever, there's some some guys who've got an opportunity to um, to lay down markers there. Particularly, actually, in fact, the Lions who lost the final to to, to Western Province um, have have got some guys who who who've basically broke into into the squad. And um, I think Ireland will play their their, their full strength side because um, they want to get a a win first up. And and but I think over the course of the season, uh, course of the month, they will they will build some new guys. I think for us, it would have been much easier to play them in. You know, with the old game plan, I think that um, about two or three years ago, Razi Erasmus, the former uh, South African flanker, he's pretty much controlled the thought process and, and the philosophy of uh, of the rugby in, in South Africa, and he he's the high performance director there. And two or three years ago, he 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 got on on the plane and and in his car and went around all the provinces in South Africa and gave a presentation about how the team who kicks the ball the most wins. And how you're better off not having the ball to to win, and that was the that very much uh, followed through with how South African teams are playing in Super Rugby, how South African teams are playing in Curry Cup, and obviously you know with Hank Amer, Hank um with the with the with the box. But what you've seen over the last Rugby Championship, and it's not just South Africa, Argentina as well, um, with, under Graham Hen- Henry's influence, the consultant realised they can't play the same type of game. Um, that the the teams with better athletes have, and they played a very high tempo game. And while South Africa have the athletes um, to beat you both ways, either through brute force or uh, or by playing around you, uh, South Africa have looked to to play with more balance. And uh, there's certainly a there's certainly a bigger threat, I think, than they were when Ireland beat them. Was it 2011 um, uh, in 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 yeah. the Viva Stadium, where we kind of just we struggled, we we suffocated them at set piece, and uh, they didn't really have a lot of options um, after that. I think this time they're more all-rounded side. Is this what the uh, other countries in the world have worried about with South Africa over the years that if they were to take a notion to start playing this way they would surely have the ability to do so and, and maybe that would be a more um, as we say a more rounded proposition for the likes of ourselves to try to deal with. Yeah I mean is in their nature their first instinct going on to a rugby pitch is to try and beat you into submission first physically and it's always been their traditional way of playing the game. Um, the All Blacks for a long time have tended to be more um, to try to outwit teams and certainly Australia do because the Wallabies don't have the physicality that South Africa generally do. I mean, South Africa, they are the Caucasian prototype for, how to, for producing rugby players. They're big, strong, powerful men and they tend to have very strong set pieces, good kicking games and it was always a question of would anybody have the 
the foresight of the gumption or the, or the, 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 the approach to come along and actually make them play with a bit more ambition. And this Heineken Mayer has done that now and they're doing that now. They've got a fairly experienced side as well, which helps. Andre Pollard is the key, I think, though, to it. You need an out-half who takes the ball to the line. And this 20-year-old is an extraordinary talent. I mean, against the All Blacks, he scored two tries for 19 points in only a 16 test at 20 years of age. He first played in the Under-20 World Cup when he was in school. He played three Under-20 World Cups, captained them in the last Under-20 World Cup. Now, his goal-kicking is a doubt and a bit of a concern for them. And, you know, he is only 20 with six caps. So there might well be days where this is going to be his first November tour, for example, where he might not click and he might miss a few goal-kicks. And this is a gamble you take with a young out-half, particularly a year out from the World Cup. But it, because of the way he attacks the game line, he's got a lethal step, he's a very strong, big lad, and he carries forcefully. It, that, when you've got an out-half, who's willing to do that. And, of course, they've also unearthed it since they were last here, Willie LaRue, who's kind of like... An out half in win- in a winner's clothing who's become a fullback, but he's basically just a, the joker in the back line. He just pops up first receiver, second receiver, third receiver. He's got a kicking game, he's got a running game. And you add in those two X factors and it's a completely different backline. You can have a different approach. You we need do, the players too, is what I'm sure, saying. Sure, yeah. yeah. We do need to remind ourselves, as you said, Jay, that we are Six Nations champions. It would probably be easier to gain confidence from that if it wasn't for the injury problems, and particularly in the front row. Bernard, the, uh, Joe Schmidt was talking about the understudies to Mike Ross and w- what confidence he has in them. And he says, well, we have to be confident. If we don't have confidence in them, it's hard for them to have any confidence in themselves. We're not keen to put someone in a position where they're going to be undone. It's not exactly a glowing endorsement of the where the guy, the potential replacements are at maybe in, in their careers. I mean, how much, how damaging could it be to a young prop to be thrown into a game against South Africa like this if they're not really ready for it? Yeah, it could be damaging. We also, you know, what happened to Tom Court and Twickenham is, um, is still fresh in the memory for me. I think that, and he was a guy who had a lot of experience, um, mainly coming on as cover for both sides. But I think that if you look at, Mike Ross has been the the steadier of the Irish scrum for the last you know three or four seasons Marty Moore thankfully had developed um, as his understudy and potentially you know by the time the World Cup comes around potentially can pass him out if he gets the game time um, and then after that you know we had Stephen Archer um, who isn't consistently first choice in, in, in Munster and I, I'm not 100% sure he's ready yet to, to pin a, an international scrum against one of the top five in the world so we were looking at bringing in Nathan White um who's obviously qualified for Ireland, a guy Joe knows well, having coached him in Leinster, um, and he gets injured. And then you know, then you're down to Rodney Ayo, probably as your as as your, as your fourth choice. So we really are going down our depth chart, and when you only have, you know, you only have four teams to pick from, um, and Ulster have a starting tight head who's not qualified, and Munster have a starting tight head who's not qualified. Um, when you do get two or three injuries like that. Um, it does get a little bit scary, particularly when you're when you're facing. I think it'll be okay against Australia, um, but particularly when you're facing um, a, a pack of the quality of of, of the box. But um, whoever gets the chance has got a, has got an opportunity. And I, I suppose the big thing is that collectively, um, how Ireland scrum, you know, they've got to make sure that they're smart, um, and you know, technically everything is done possible to help whoever comes in on that tight head side because that's going to be the, the key focus point for, for the box who, who don't need a second invitation to go after you, you know, in that sector. 
There is news today that Johnny Sexton tweaked a hamstring over the weekend and as we have this chat we were just waiting for a word from the Irish camp about <clears throat> how serious or otherwise that is. It's maybe another little piece of unwelcome news. It doesn't mm. sound, uh, hopefully it's, it's nothing too bad now but um, even the front row issues alone against South Africa for all we talk about their new game plan they're not going to be any weaker there I presume than they have been in other years so no. how, how concerned are you from the, the Irish point of view? Well they the indignity been shoved around the park by Argentina in the second game the rugby championship in La Plata the, the away game um, real indignity for South Africa scrum, they took it bad. I think two of their tight five weren't playing that day. I think um, Entarina, the beast, wasn't playing and Victor Matfield's come back in now as well. So their scrum finished very strong. Anyway, there were very few scrums in the last game against New Zealand, but it looked potent. Um, and they will, as long as they've Ireland are going to get any light relief at scrum time, because the Wallabies have improved beyond recognition in latter years. And of course, the one thing that Georgia will bring in the middle Sunday is a big scrum. And so therefore, all the more reason that Joe Schmidt and the coaching staff would have liked a few more alternatives of a tight head to Mike Ross. His health and well-being is vital. So too Johnny Sexton. It's just typical Rob Carney, even fullback. The injuries that Ireland seem to be have are in positions where the cupboard isn't overflowing mm. uh, with options. And, and that, that scrum is a concern. And the main thing I think they're going to miss really is ball carrying. With no key and healing, Sean O'Brien, you look back at that All Blacks game last year, and like Sean O'Brien was pretty much Ireland's outstanding player. And when everybody is right and well, which of course never happens anymore, but if everybody was right and well, Sean O'Brien has been for the last couple of years Ireland's best rugby player in terms of being the most dynamic and able to hurt opposition teams. Keane Healy would be on his day also world class would have been the Lions starting loose head in all probability but for injury so you take those two out and Ian Henderson would have been real impact carrying off the bench there isn't a huge amount of carrying for what you're going to need against the, because ultimately for Ireland to beat the South Africans it would have to be emulating the All Blacks performance last year they're going to have to be able to retain the ball for long stretches and strong carriers like Healy and O'Brien and then Henderson off the bench make that entirely more feasible How does Joe Schmidt compensate for that? Bernard we know how smart a coach he is and we know how well he can coach against bigger teams how does he compensate for the loss of what Jerry talks about there yeah it's well I think that if you looked at Ireland under the six, last year's Six Nations campaign they played a, a very pragmatic uh, style, of, style of rugby they didn't I suppose um, copy or uh, the type of rugby that he played with Leinster and how Claremont played when he was there it was very pragmatic he cut his cloth he based his team around very solid discipline um, with the lowest penalty count of Six Nations a reasonable set piece a good kick Good kicking game, good kick chase, and three or four different power plays that you know we managed to to be able to use to create penalties or, or to score tries. Um, I think that how he'd like to evolve is now to start to play with a little bit more um, width, but having and that avoids the necessary necessity to play with strong ball carriers off nine. Um, but having said that. The ability to go wide is much easier once you've made a little bit of a of a gain line close close to the rook or close to the first phase. So it is going to be hard for him. But I think he'll I, I think he'll avoid that close in combat with uh, with with the box as much as he can. I think Ireland will kick a lot um, this weekend, uh, particularly if Johnny's out. Uh, I think Conor Murray, who's been in really good form, will, will take on a lot of responsibility there, and um, they will kick the contest. Um, to try and take that counter-attacking game that, that South Africa have, have added out of it as much as possible. Um, and they'll try and play, you know, after that, they'll try and play as little rugby as possible in their own half and, and try and force penalties and really rely on, on our, on our defence. I think our defence this week um, is, is going to be more important than our attack, to be honest. I think given the, the guys we have missing, um, it's going to be hard for us to go toe-to-toe in terms of playing the possession game w- with the box. And, and we've got to 
we've got to maybe play uh, more to ter- more to contest, uh, kick chase, um, but also you know try to make sure we don't play too much in our own half. The uh, number thirteen uh, position is the other one up for grabs, Jerry. Not so much out of injuries, but Brian O'Driscoll retired mm. now. Uh, what way is Schmidt leaning there at the moment? Who? Um, a lot of people interpret his comments um, of last Friday after the open training session in Viva as clear signal that Robbie Henshaw was going to start. Certainly was the strongest indication yet, although he did say of Jared Payne, he has experience of playing against the Africans in the Super Rugby Championship and therefore we value that experience. So why would you value the experience if you're not going to use it? But he did then say, we'll find out about Robbie Henshaw in 10 days' time, whether he's up to it or not, which seemed like a signal, all right, that it's going to be Henshaw. I would have thought that might have marked a slight change in the thought process over the last while. And I'm, I'm just pure guesswork on my part. I would have thought Payne would have been the long-term favourite. Uh, when we all knew Brian O'Driscoll's retirement, I remember the book he's doing odds on this. Yeah. And Jared Payne was the favourite to be the starting number 13 in this very match. The, the man basically would give the first shot at, an, at taking over the throne. To be honest, in his form for Ulster this season, he still looks better and Ulster look better and more balanced and more potent as an attacking force when he reverts to full back. Just a better, it's more seamless, it's more cohesive, it just works better and it hasn't worked as well when he's 13. Um, he is a good defensive player. Henshaw has, has more to learn about the game but he's a big lad, he's an imposing lad and he's had the uh, imprimatur of the man himself of course in O'Driscoll. So if I was to have a bet now and I wouldn't like to wage much money on it, it would be for Henshaw to start. Bernard Neil Francis seemed to think in the Sunday Independent yesterday that neither of them are really going to be up to it and that um, Joe Schmidt badly needs Luke Fitzgerald to stay injury free and to, to play in this position long term. What do you think? Yeah, I think Luke has certainly for years, you know, we've all thought that uh, Luke's long term future will be will be at 13. But um for Luke at the moment, it's just about getting a run of games, you know, in any position he can, just to get um, a little bit of confidence back. He certainly has um, the footwork to be a very good 13. Defensively, uh, he's a good player. I'm not sure if he has the passing game to be um, to fit straight into that position. I think he needs time. And the problem with Luke is you can't say, you know, for certain, well, you can't say for certain anyone, but you can't say based on his injury record over the last while he's going to get a run of games uh, between now and the World Cup I, uh, that's going to have him ready to play so I would have thought um, and Ben Teo's injury you know if he's Ben Teo's back in two months time probably Ben Teo's going to play 13 for, for Leinster so um, I'm not sure Luke will have as many opportunities uh, to put his hand up as uh, Payne and, and Henshaw I think Henshaw will get the start this week I think He's a type of centre, uh, a type of back that Joe likes, um, big, athletic, physical, um, and that that will be the you know the profile he need. Will get him to start, um, and then if he if he started him against South Africa, um, probably there's an argument to start him against Australia. I would have thought and 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 see how he goes and, and build a relationship with with Darcy and uh, and and Sexton. A little bit left field would be that if. Uh, if if Robbie didn't turn out, you know, Robbie or Payne didn't really um, uh, cut the mustard at 13, potentially you could see someone like Noel Reid come in at 12 and moving Darcy at 13. I know it's it's a little bit left field, but I think that Noel, Noel Reid's passing game um, would give you a second first receiver um, that could give Ireland a, Ireland a nice balance um, if they if they were to try and you know play a little bit more a little a little bit wider and a little bit more with the ball, uh, I just think if you bring Robbie in at thirteen, it's really for his physicality. I think uh, and his ability to get over the gain line. I think Jared is, from what we've seen him as a fullback, 
his quality is is his pace off the mark and his ability to to beat people one on one. But if you're looking to improve Ireland's overall back play, um, maybe someone coming in there who's a quality passer of the ball, um, you know, would would might might be a long shot to by the time the World Cup comes around. Yeah, I think I think everyone would probably be, feel a bit safer and more comfortable if there was just one t- standout candidate that you, you know you could put in for. But that's so. This is the the issue when you're trying to replace great players. There's a small bit of good news from the South Africa camp. You said you were. With them earlier on. Oh, yes. Well, bad news from their point of view. Yeah, we, yeah. We, Dr. Dr. Craig Roberts gives a Monday briefing. Yeah. Um, wonder we'll ever catch on. Medical doctor giving an accurate Monday briefing. There you go. And Craig Roberts, and he said that Rune Pienaar, they're going to assess him this week. They've been in touch with Ulster on a regular basis. He hasn't really started running yet as such. So their view is that he probably almost certainly won't be available this weekend against Ireland, but will play against England. All right. Predictions? Bernard, I'll start with you. Um, I think Ireland will... Will lose, uh, but it'll be quite tight. Probably, probably five points or less. Five points or less defeat, Jerry. Uh, like I said at the start, <laughs> if Joe Schmidt and Coke and the players can mastermind a win over this, it will be as good a November win as I can recall Ireland ever achieving. I think the odds, just the way it's fallen, would be just be a hell of an achievement. I'm not saying it's ruling ruling out a possibility, but also the Springboks haven't lost. Uh, they've won every match on their November tours under Mayer so far, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if they maintain that record in this tour. Okay, Bernard, great stuff, thank you. Jerry, thanks a million. Cheers. In the final and in again. And here I just want to go back to this South African, this expansive South Af- African game plan. Yes. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I, I like the sound. I like my stereotypes to, to just. Well, it's just they're just not playing fair. Yeah. Quite frankly, um, if you have been gifted genetically with the basically the strongest, the heaviest set of human beings on the planet as South Africa have, then you have to. You just have to ha- you keep going with that. Yeah. I mean, you can't go around thinking, right? Okay. Well, we've got all of these gigantic. Uh, uh, rugby players we can't then have them passing the ball to each other I mean that's we can't have that no. I mean what what next because it's a great tradition of, of South African uh, cerebral South African play Jus van der Westhausen Fury de Bray <laughs> they're just scrum halves they're allowed they're allowed Peter, everyone else is we're talking about top, top class tactical intelligence um uh, a passing execution at speed often over the years with South Africa the ball those guys play a gone. mobile dynamic game mm-hmm. Well, yeah, no, those number nines. I when, mean, we 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 the, the 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 rules are quite clear on this. You're allowed to have reasonably good players at nine and ten, but uh, your two centres have to be six foot eight and twenty seven stone, and uh, it upwards from there for your pack. Amazing that Ken's rugby interest revolves largely around scrum halves. Yeah, he's always dreaming about Augustin Pichot. Augustin Pichot's running ball around with him. Yeah, lo- lo- loves them all, which is I know it's 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 weird, and yet not a word for Conor Murray. Uh, Ireland's incumbent. I, I mean, what does Conor Murray have to do to impress you, Ken? Well, I've, I suppose I've I've uh, been 
Uh, I've been more of a of a Redden stringer man. Mm. The smaller time. Well, okay. Okay, fair enough, Ken. Fair enough. Stringer's ankle top, you know. Coming up in second captain's football. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk a bit about. Um, well, I hope you haven't stolen the thunder out. Manchester derby was last week. We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk a little bit. It's a big week also for Liverpool. Didn't get off to a great start with Newcastle. Now Real Madrid and Chelsea to come. This. Week, mm-hmm. Real Madrid away first of all. Do you think Real Madrid are going to be up for that one? Uh, will the, will will the the Anfield game lead to Real Madrid maybe being a little bit complacent going into this one and sort of going in and thinking, you know, this we don't really need to stretch ourselves here. I don't think old Cristiano Ronaldo has a complacent bone in his hard working body. As Jeff Shreves reminded him, he didn't manage to break that Champions League goal scoring record on his last appearance in the competition. Mm-hmm. So I suppose the next appearance. And then Jose Mourinho and Chelsea. Uh, Jose Mourinho, of course, the recipient of a tactical lecture from Brendan Rodgers the last time these sides played in the league, where Rodgers said uh, it was the polar opposite of the way. He, he, he would never in a million years do the kind of thing that Mourinho had done, which anybody could do, by the way, get players to defend their 18-yard line. So maybe this is one of those cases where uh, it's got a little bit of an extra spice to it. The, um, Which is the last thing Liverpool want? Well, I, I, I spice spice can work two ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, more than one person can eat spice. Spices is that what you're trying to say? I mean, spice works one way. Yeah, you know, be... I mean, it, it, there's no two ways for a spice. You're not going to cool anything down with a spice. No. no. So it's a hot, hot, hot uh, week coming up. We're joined by Keith Duggan now to chat about Rory Gallagher's appointment as Donegal manager. Keith, you wrote a piece about this in the Irish Times on Saturday. And one reading of it, I don't know if I'm right in this one, is that maybe the, the Rory Gallagher now is not a million miles away from Jim McGuinness in 2010 in terms of being a hugely intense, driven young manager who already has the respect of the players. Well, yeah, I suppose I suppose uh, that comparison is there to be made. All right. Um, obviously, when Jim McGuinness took over in... Um, in 2011, or he was appointed in late 2010, he'd already brought the 21s to um, an All Ireland final, and he'd won a he'd won a county title with uh, with Glenty. So he, you know, he probably had a little more experience under his belt than than Rory Gallagher does. Um, you know, Rory Gallagher's reputation it's sort of um, it sort of came to prominence through his association with. Uh, with the Donegal seniors, so I mean, there is an element of continuity there, and obviously, in the sense that he was involved uh, up until uh, the autumn of of, of twenty thirteen. Um, but you know, there there is a caveat that he, he, I suppose, he is quite inexperienced at, at this level. What sort of what was his role in that backroom team from Jim McGuinness? What what specifically did he do? Um. To be honest, I'm not too sure. I mean, it seems, you know, like he 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 came in when when um, I think Peter McGinley was unavailable from Kelly Bags and Jim McGinnis said he you know he'd heard about Rory and he heard very good things about what he was doing with Kilcar because he was coaching uh, Kilcar uh, under James McHugh at the time and apparently um, you know was 
terrific, uh, terrific skills coach and games coach, and had a very good way with uh, with working with players on a one-on-one level, and just very, very sharp and kind of shrewd reader of the game. So we brought him in, and I mean, obviously, you know, if you remember, Owen, it sort of seems as if they were uh, they were a double act after a while, and uh, you know, in the nature of these things, once Donegal won the All Ireland in 2012, um, it sort of you know, Rory, Rory attracted a lot of media attention. People were sort of very interested as to what his, what, what you know, what the precise nature of his role was. Um, they kind of kept that in house. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm not too sure. I mean, you know, people said uh, that you know that that that, that much of of, of, what, of what went on was down to Rory Gallagher. But I think you know, last year McGuinness brought in a, a new team, and I think he probably had his his best year tactically. The obvious reference point that they are in the semi-final against Dublin, but um, you know that Derry game um, in, in May last was was uh, it really was a masterclass in terms of what he had to do with uh, you know last-minute reparations to to a team. So you know I think sort of McGuinness um, even prior to his involvement with, with Rory had sort of uh, proven his own uh, tactical acumen, whereas you know with, with Rory and I. We, we just, you know, by all accounts, he, he, he's meant to be exceptionally, uh, exceptionally good on, on, on the line, and he's meant to be um, just really strong in, in, in dealing with the players on a one-on-one basis. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, uh, sport is littered with uh, number twos uh, who, uh, by dint of their association with a great manager, have themselves have this huge reputation as a you know the the real secret behind Alex Ferguson's success turned out to be four or five yeah. different <laughs> number twos. We'll call it the the Peter Taylor effect for the 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 lack of a better phrase. But I mean, is there an element of that with Rory Gallagher as well that as a number two his his role could be absolutely perfect, but that as you say his lack of experience as a number one uh, might actually count against him in, in in a way that maybe he doesn't even foresee just yet. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be different for him. Um, but you know, I, I I have a sense that he, he he's gonna he, he's gonna thrive. Um, I do think that uh, he, like Jim McGuinness, he has a very clear sense of what he wants to do with a football team. Um, I mean, you probably remember him playing here, and he was yeah. he was he was a, he was a terrific player. Um, always had so much time on the ball and sort of made the game look effortless and just chatting to some of his uh, some of the Kalkara guys there last week they've said they've all said what he has brought into their club not just amongst the senior teams but right through you know talking to underage teams and even talking to administrators that he kind of again fills them with sort of energy and drive much 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 the same kind of stuff as, as you would have heard about uh, as you would have heard about Jim McGuinness and um, you know the obvious thing people said once Jim McGuinness left that you, you know that you, you, you'd pity whoever follows him but I, I don't know if that's true um I don't think anyone expects Rory Gallagher to be Jim McGuinness or to replicate what he achieved. And I think um, the real important thing is is McGuinness's legacy. You know, there's two ways of, of treating it for, for, for Donegal. It's, you know, you behave as if the last four years was kind of a dream or else you behave as if it was the foundation for something. And I think that's what McGuinness would want is that they they kind of carry through what, what you know, what a what they set up over the past uh, four years. And, you know, 
Roy Gallagher knows those players. Uh, he's walking back into familiar scene. He's been on the sideline before. He's operated at the highest level with Jim McGuinness. All that, all that experience will stand to him. It's just he's in charge here and, and, and the book stops with him. I don't think that'll, that'll daunt him, to be honest. Yeah, um, interesting that you mentioned his playing career there as well because maybe there's another slight similarity between himself and McGuinness there also in a frustration throughout his own career at how he was managed, at how uh, inter-county football dressing rooms were run uh, you know, during the late 90s and into the 2000s when he was playing. And yeah. that, that, that that in many ways was the driving force for McGuinness and will now be the driving force for Rory Gallagher, that the careers went wither on the vine in the same way that they did maybe during their careers. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say that's probably true. I mean, people remember they seem to bounce from, from club to club a little and, you know, that I suppose the outside perception was that maybe he was just kind of restless and maybe not all that serious about the game, but maybe, you know, in hindsight, the opposite was true, that he just wanted to um, find uh, a setup that sort of allowed him to 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 flourish. And, I mean, I spoke with Lenny Harbinson, the St. Gaul's manager, and obviously Rory Gallagher won a, an All-Ireland there in, in, towards the, in 2010, I think it was, and you know, Lenny Harbison said he was an absolute joy to work with him from the moment he came into the squad that he just saw well A what he could contribute on on the field just through the way he, he, he directed the uh the forward patterns of play. But also just uh his he he said he just enjoyed talking to him about about the game, you know, that um you know, even before he joined Donegal, like he said that Gallagher would say to him, you know, what what would you rather do? Would you rather defend the pitch that's 100, whatever, 160 metres long or defend it from 45 metres? You know, which is easier to do, which makes more sense. And, you know, so even towards the end of his playing days, he was beginning to think uh, in that way. And I mean, I'm just, I'm just guessing here, but I imagine when Jim McGinnis and himself originally uh, met up that they just find that they uh, shared a lot of similar views on, 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 on where the game was going and where they could, uh, where they wanted to take it. If Donegal are going to build in the last few years, Keith, and you, you called it maybe it, or it could turn out that it, it was a dream and almost like an aberration over the last, uh, to be the most, uh, certainly one, one of the couple of most successful counties in the country for these last few years, they are going to need this sort of cooperation from the county boards, which Jim McGuinness certainly managed to get again in his last season um, as manager this year when they delayed the the staging of the championship games for pretty much as long as Jim McGuinness and Donegal needed. Is that likely to happen? Are, are, because usually in counties, there are a lot of vested interests and different people are looking for different things. Do you think it is possible to get that kind of cooperation again? Well, yeah, I'd say it's possible. I mean, obviously Jim McGuinness, I think, has to drive a fairly, a fairly hard bargain. Um, but it, you know, in order to in order to achieve that, but you know, he he had been a club manager before he became Donegal manager. Rory Gallagher was involved with uh, Kilcar up to up to recently, and uh, Maxi Curran, the twenty one manager, was involved with Unions, who, who just won the county championship there yesterday. So I think all these people are aware of the sensitivities and frustrations for the club players. Um, but you know, if you look at the Disaster that became Donegal's um, All Ireland defence attempt in 2013 when they decided to to play the club championship and and the county squad was just riven with injuries, and compared to to last year when the delegates decided to postpone the club championship and Donegal came very close to winning an All Ireland title, I'd say it's going to be very difficult for the delegates to to vote against that now. You know, I mean, they've seen what what the potential is so I wouldn't be surprised if it does persist for for the next while Alright, listen Keith great to talk to you thanks a million Thanks a lot Cheers 
Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ear. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians, and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. You can read Keith's piece on the appointment of Gallagher on irishtimes.com. A uh, load of big stories over the weekend. We're from club football, it being that kind of year. I'd like you to pick out maybe two, Ooh. please, that caught your eye. Well, uh, Kieran Donnie uh, leading. Scoring uh, goals, enjoying away. Oh, man. Kieran Donnie. I don't know if you've, if you've seen the, <laughs> the footage of the goal, but he scored a really good goal in the first game and he kind of ran away. Like wheeling off in celebration, like beating his uh, beating his chest mm-hmm. uh, with the club crest, you know, and uh, and I kind of said, "Wow, that's you know, it's brilliant to see a guy just you know enjoying the moment to that extent." But he scored a, an early goal in the replay uh, this week, and it, it seemed quite low key, you know. He kind of he, he got he got the goal, and then he kind of walked out, back out of the twenty one yard line. I, I, I expected some some fireworks, you know. Some sort of like uh, like racing away in celebration, race fist rounds like that. He gets to the twenty one year line, and then he remembers. Oh yes, I think my marker may have said or done something to me in the last five or six minutes. Uh, turns around, and you can see him as clear as day, like <laughs> mouthing extremely long and loud at the uh, the mid carry full uh, full back, and uh, a little bit of shouldering, a little bit of toing and froing ensues. But hey, listen, if Kieran Dunne catches the ball over your head. Dummies you and then sticks it into the bottom corner as he'd done to that full back. Then I suppose you know you're expecting a little bit of Joan. That's huge for him though, because when we were chatting to him on TV a few weeks back, he was saying that uh, we were raising this prospect that if they were to win the Kerry final, that he would probably be the Kerry mm. captain. There are another couple of guys in and around the panel, but he's certainly the most senior of the, in the extended panel. In the extended like panel, so, yeah. yeah. So it uh, looks as though he'll be Kerry captain next year. Yeah, and you know, uh, speaking to him on air, it was clear. Off air, it was a clear. Huge amount to him. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and he like had laser eye focus on that game. Uh, even when you know he was talking to us, you know, so that was huge. Big surprise though was Cross McGlenn losing um, in Ulster to Oma uh, in a game that I think you know literally no one saw that one coming as well. So it's it's been a strange year in the club championships because a lot of the big clubs like Dr. Crooks would have been knocking on the door for the last number of years. They're out. Uh, Cross McGlenn are now out of the Ulster Championship. Uh, Vincents have kept going. Uh, and the teams in Connacht have kept going, but the, a couple of big guns already have been have been knocked out. So it's probably good news uh, on that front for Curvin, Ballantober, Bridgets, and Vincent. Some good news, Mir, for Irish rugby fans. And it's come in since we spoke to Jerry Thorney and Bernard Jackman earlier, and that is that Johnny Sexton is fine, which is good because there was enough of a sense of foreboding in that mm. chat as it was. But it was actually a slight thigh problem that apparently he picked up playing for Racing Metro. He trains today, so he's. Absolutely fine, which is great to see. We'll wrap things up now, if that's okay with everybody. Uh, do follow us on Twitter, at Second Captains. You can check out our website, secondcaptains.com, and uh, drop us an email. All the details are on there anyway, but drop us an email, secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Thanks Ken. Care. Thank you, Owen. We'll talk to you again for the football podcast a little bit later. Thanks for listening. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.